Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that. That's why you tuned in. Got a great guest today. His name is Randy Pennington. Mr. Pennington is a author, a business advisor, a consultant. He helps small business people and organizations that are not small do what they do better. And I thought you are a perfect guest for this. His uh, most recent book is Make Change Work. So we're going to talk today about the very desperate need that we all have to change, to be relevant, to change, to be uh, profitable in an evolving marketplace. If you're a regular listener here to the Do Business Better podcast, you probably noticed that I've done two episodes on the gig economy. The gig economy, of course, means that it's more freelance. It's more freewheeling. It's more self-employed. And as I point out, there's no such thing as self-employed. We all work for others. So what are you going to do as the marketplace continues to evolve? 57 million Americans are now working in the gig economy. That's 36% of the workforce. What are you going to do when you have to change? Well, you're going to learn how to make change work. Randy Pennington, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Damien. It's a pleasure as always. Okay. Answer me this. Answer me this from the very get-go. You're, you're in your mid-60s, so you're like not one of these young uh, post-millennials talking about the new economy and all that. You're a seasoned veteran, but you still are way open to change. You say it's because you get bored. Expand upon that. Well, it, it really is uh, a combination of boredom and curiosity. Uh, you know, I, I, I never wanted to be that guy in whether it's my father or my father-in-law who's like, Oh, you know, Hey, you kids get off my yard. Uh, but you know, I realized that that to me has always been the fascinating part of what's next. And so I started, I mean, two questions that I tell every business that they ought to be answering is, you know, what else, what else can I be doing right now to serve my clients better and what next because I'm assuming that you're building your business, whether you're an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or a gig economy person or a small business, I'm assuming you want this thing to last more than next week. Uh, and it, at the rate things are changing right now, the best thing that you can do is to stay active uh, unless you win a lotto and you know, a friend of mine's sister did and makes 240 grand for the rest of her life. Knock yourself out. Don't ever change again. But for the rest of us, you better be changing. Yeah. So what, what, what's the holdup? You know, we can, we hear about this. You and I are both on the circuit. So we, we're around speakers and we've been around people that go to conferences and talk and, Oh, you've got to change. I mean, all that. And you're not that person that, that's, that's this preacher of change. You're just very simply looking at the adaptation that you're going to have to do. Why don't people do it? Is it because they're lazy? Is it because they're afraid? All of the above? Resist it? Why are they, why are they so resistant? Well, you know, I figured out people basically change Damien for one of two reasons. They have to? Either, yeah. The crisis pushes them to change. <laughs> opportunity pulls them to change. And, you know, and uh, I mean, if you look at most people in their lives, you know, how many people you think know they ought to eat healthier than they ate today for lunch? Yeah, and, and they don't. And they don't. So, but when will they, when the doctor cracks open their chest, right. Um, 
And so we, we know that part of it's that. Here's what I think is different, though, about the people who have a lasting career. It's they change based upon where's the opportunity. And they don't wait for the crisis because it used to be when I, you know, back when I didn't have all this gray hair, it was, you know, you, you had some time to catch up. You don't have time to catch up today. Things move too quickly. So if you're not anticipating and pursuing, then chances are you're going to be late. Now, uh, all, all honesty, you know, we love to say that the pace of change and things are moving so quickly. Is that really true? Has it always been this way? Uh, relatively speaking, yes. So, so I'm sure that some, somebody at the turn of the century, uh, you know, they looked out and they said, oh my God, there's a horseless carriage. Things are changing so fast. Has it always been the case for at least modern history that we've changed? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Relative, from a relative perspective, the answer is yes. Uh, I, you know, I, I've said before, I'm sure that the Pony Express riders at the end of the day all sat around the bar and said, yeah, this telegraph thing's not going to last. Right. Uh, right. So, so the, there, there's always been that disruption. Here's yeah. the thing that changes. Here's the thing that has changed is that relatively it's different, but uh, relatively it's always been that way. Factually, it is changing faster because of technology allows it to change quicker. I mean, it's just so the, the cycles are much shorter now. And I think we're reaching a point where humans haven't learned um, to catch up to the cycles. I know you talk about reinvention all the time. Yeah, I talk about reinvention. And as you point out, the need to do this is when you don't have to, you know, I had to change my entire business, my career and everything. And it was, that part was going to, we knew that was going to happen, but we didn't know that nine 11 was going to change things so dramatically. And then I was going to have to rely on savings at the same time they were being cut in half. So you're like backed into the corner with a gun to your head when you're having to do that. And that's where, you know, you're like, wow, I knew I was going to have to make some changes, but this is coming at me full throttle here. So what do people need to do to make change work in their life? Okay. So the person listening to this podcast is they own uh, three dry cleaners. They, uh, they have a heating and cooling business. Things are changing technologically, but what else? What well, first thing they have to do is, is change the way they think about and look at change. So, um, you know, I mean, you change a light bulb when it burns out, the athletics team change coaches when they lose. I live in Dallas. There's at least one notable exception to that. Um, but you know, businesses typically, if you think you don't change until you're backed into a corner, then sooner there's going to be a time when you don't aren't able to fight your way out of it. So that's the very first thing. I think the second thing that they've really got to start looking at is uh, if you talk to people about change, what's the old saying? Nobody likes a change except a wet baby or something like that. I never liked that line particularly, but I've heard it a lot. So don't, you know, if change bothers you and your team, all right, so how do you get better? So don't talk about, just talk about how do you do business better? And if you're going to be better, you got to be different. If you're going to be different. You've got to change. So let's just focus on, yeah, nobody likes change. Everyone wants to do business better. So they ought to focus on that. I mean, I, so um, the other thing is if you only wait until there's a big change, then you've missed opportunities. 
Um, so let me give you an example. Everybody knows the story about Blockbuster. I don't know if you talk about Blockbuster. I talk about Blockbuster. Yeah. Everybody or sister talks about Blockbuster, but yes. Why didn't they become Redbox and why didn't they become Netflix? Because they All are right, so, in this space. So um, the guy who was at one point, the, not the guy who took it down, but John Adiago, who was for a long time CEO of Blockbuster. John was a client of mine. So I had a chance to talk to John about Blockbuster. And, you know, you've all seen the thing, you know, they had the chance to buy Netflix for 55 million. They, you know, all this other kind of stuff. I asked John, I said, John, what are you thinking? What were the, what was, he said, didn't you realize this was coming? And here's what he said. He said, we knew, we knew that DVD by mail was coming. Now their business model was a franchise business model. That's awfully hard to get. And we knew streaming was probably going to come too. It wasn't that we didn't know it was coming. We just thought we had more time. Yeah. So it came so quickly. And there's that thing of, as I, I believe, when you get bigger, you get complacent and you lose your entrepreneurial footing. Worst thing in the world is nobody that was running Blockbuster was a founder, entrepreneur uh, mentality. They were corporate types. And, and I think there's really something to that. So the person listening to this podcast says, hey, man, I've got a company with seven people. Uh, I'm, I'm expanding. I'm growing. That's great. Now, what happens when you hand that company off to the next person? Are they going to have the drive or the adaptation. Remember, true entrepreneurs don't fear uh, disruption. They don't fear, you know, like, oh, there's something different tomorrow. Great. Uh, how can I profit from it? Um, what's, a, what's the personality trait? See, I talk about your business personality in my book, that you need to be either a, you're a product person, you're a, a process person, a people person, a promotion person, or a profitable person. We need to be the fifth one, no matter what, you've got to be profitable. What's the business personality trait that is least likely to change product process, people promotion. Wow. Because I said the least likely to change is probably the person who is process focused. That's what I was going to say. Also, I just wanted to see what your thought was because a guy like you, my wife always says, uh, I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm handling the details. That's the kind of stuff you hate. Go back to your desk. <laughs> <laughs> well, process people are detail people and I'm not one. Well, you know, for years, uh, both in my business now and the other places where I've worked, everybody used to say, said the scariest three words in my vocabulary, or I've been thinking. Mm -hmm. Cause I usually meant somebody left me alone for a half hour that day. So <clears throat> truly process people. Now there's two kinds of process. And if you, if you talk to our, our buddy Winget and McCain and those, but we'll tell you, well, Randy's the process guy. I am. I, I understand the value of process, mm -hmm. but there's, but that's not being truly a process person. So I was with a client last week and they said, we have a process. We've been doing it this way for 22 years. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so when the process become, when the process gets in the way of you being able to be profitable, then you've got a problem. But I mean, process people are kind of that way. Um, you know, people who fall in love. I mean, I think it could, you know, people who fall in love with their product. Yeah. You know, there's another thing where they say, I won't, I won't change this. This is, you know, they, they, it becomes their baby. And product can be a lot of things. It can be a sandwich. It can be a speech like I might give. It can be a bale of hay out here on the farm. Product can be a lot of things. It can be a service. It can be how you 
you know, clean people's houses, whatever. And the, when they fall in love with it and they think that it's, that it's more important than the customer. I mean, a long time ago, that's a good thing about having a background in comedy, Randy, is I loved certain jokes, but I also knew that it was time for them to go away. Sometimes I love material that the audience didn't. And I'm like, well, they're too dumb to get it or, or it's just not clicking. And so the good thing about a comedy background is you become very well-versed and accepting of, oh, time to chuck this, time to get rid of it. And a lot of business people can't. They stay with stuff too long. But, and so, I mean, I, you got a great, that's a great analogy, metaphor, what analogy I think is the right word there. Um, it's, see, here, here's the thing that was really important. Your product wasn't the joke. No. Your product was the laugh. And, and so I think a lot of businesses, we get in trouble when we start thinking our product is the service that I deliver. No, the ultimate product is a customer who loves you and is willing to tell all their friends about what you do. Yeah. And so a lot of times, I mean, this is a struggle for the, the kind of our listener right now that has a little business, whatever it might be, or even a big business is they not only are reluctant to change the product, they get the product wrong. You know, it's the old thing and it's a trite, but you know, the guy goes to the hardware store looking for a drill bit. Does he really want a drill bit? No, he wants a hole in his wall. Well, it's that same thing for me. For a long time, I thought my business was telling jokes and it kind of was. And I thought maybe it was about writing jokes and it kind of was, but ultimately it was about creating experiences. It was making it so those uh, 800 people in uh, Kansas City, Missouri at the Marriott uh, left the hardware convention and said, oh my God, this is one of the best hardware conventions we've ever had. That was what I was in the business of delivering and still am experience. Right. And, you know, if you think about what your, um, I mean, I just had, for example, um, my wife and I, I just came home last week. My wife said, by the way, I got somebody coming over to the house on Saturday. They'll be here between two. You know, I may be busy. You're probably going to have to deal with them. And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, I don't know if you've noticed or not because you don't walk on that side of the fence, but we have some fence poles that are starting to lean combination of really horrendous weather and them being 22 years in the ground. So I got a guy coming over and to look at, to give us an estimate. All right. So what was his product? Well, you could look at his product is, um, one, it's getting new fence poles. So putting poles in the ground, yeah, new poles is his product. Fence pieces is his product selling, but he's also selling convenience. He's selling uh, privacy. He's selling uh, security. Uh, which one resonates with you? Of course it depends on the, the buyer. Right. And, and, but you know, ultimately he was also selling the confidence that I wasn't going to have this problem over again. So yes. one of the very first, and, and so even in his product, what he told me was, he said, look, uh, he said, how long has this been here? And said, you know, we've lived in this house 21 years. It's probably brand same poles that were in here 21 years ago. And he said, all right. So one of the things that we're going to do is because you don't want to have this problem again, do you? No. He said, so um, most poles at that time were, dri were drilled two feet deep. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're going to go an extra foot to give you more stability. And we're going to do this to make sure this happens. And so really what his product was, was not only the convenience in doing it, but it was also the quality, but it assuring me that I wasn't going to have this problem over again. That's what he sold me. 
um, which is why he's coming a week from today to start the work. You know, it's because, oh, all right. And, and was the price? Yeah, the price was important, but I wasn't going to make a difference off 20 bucks. No. I was going to make a difference on solving my problem. Yeah. And, and I, it goes back to, there are a lot of people in business and they're even successful at it that really don't quite get what they sell. Like they think they know what they sell. But as you said, if you told that guy, are you even aware why I did business with you? Because you, you realized what you really were selling. Uh, it's not security. It's not a fence. It's not a hole. I got all, you know, I can get all those things, but it was, the, I'm not going to have this problem again. All right. So, so let, let me go back to change because if he'd done business the way he'd always done business, he would have sold me with his product or his process. He would have sold me. Here's exactly what we're going to do. He would have sold me a feature, not a solution. Mm-hmm. And that would, and, and, and so what he had to change in his business to get my business because customers are different is understanding the business from the customer perspective, not from his. All right. So let's talk about you. You've got, you've been a consultant for 30 years. You've had your own business for 30 years as a consultant and business uh, advisor. Where have you steered ship wrong? Where did you miss the boat on change? What have you done wrong? Because you're the expert, but you know what? Even experts have boo-boos. Yeah. Um, one is, I didn't understand my business at one point. I mean, there was a point back in 2000, Damien, that uh, I woke up and I realized I'd put all my eggs in one basket. And my wife came in and said, do you realize that we're, we got 60 days worth of cash and receivables in this business? Then we have to start um, hitting our retirement and hitting the 401k and hitting our savings. Right. And, um, and I was like, Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. How'd this happen? Yeah. So that's that, that the biggest problem you had. And then you had to change is that you had too much all, all in with one client. And when I, it's the old thing about when, when you owe the bank a hundred thousand dollars, the bank owns you, when you owe the bank $10 million, you own the bank. It's kind right. of the same thing with a consultant, uh, you know, a service provider. Cause maybe or the- any service provider. Exactly. Right. You know, if you don't have, um, if, if, if you don't have a sustainable revenue process that doesn't rely on one person or one small niche, then you work for them. Uh, and so that's, that's the big shift that I had to make in my business. And I, it took me a couple of years to get there. Um, but it was a big shift that it screw up that I had. Uh, it's the biggest one that came to mind. There's a thousand other little ones that, where have you done things? Where, where, what have you done right? Stay curious. That's the big thing um, is staying curious. People in my business, uh, I mean, you see them. You were out there. You know how many people are saying the same thing that they were saying? Yeah, yeah it's the old thing. They're not, they're, not, they're not innovative, and so they get real comfortable doing the same thing, and then all of a sudden they, they turn around, and, it's, and ten years has gone by. And you're irrelevant. And that's probably the, the thing that's I've done more than anything else is I've stayed curious. Um, and that's helped me, I think, keep up. They yeah, keep cranking out new stuff. What bad habit do you manage? Doing things that I like that I, that are not the best use of my time. Mm-hmm. What's the best habit you have? Being curious. You already said anything else. Yeah. Being curious. Um, you know, that one drives a whole lot of different things because it keeps me learning. It keeps me focusing on new stuff. Um, that one drives a lot of, you know, by the way, the flip side of curious is easily bored. So 
that, that keeps me, that drives a whole lot of different things in my business. I've uh, made the crack that you use an example about uh, a certain Cadillac dealership there in your backyard, but you look at a lot of businesses because you obviously are a business consultant. What do they get wrong? What things do you look at that glare at you and you're like, good God, what are they getting wrong? Is it just that they won't adapt? Is it that they, they stay with well, what worked yesterday? A, a big part of it is, is they're not looking, they're not focusing externally. Uh, they're focused internally rather than externally. So external focuses on not only what the customer needs today, but where's the customer going to be in two years, three years, what are they starting to tell me and starting to look at uh, a lot of different pieces of, of understanding the, the customer and their journey and where they're going. So they stop doing that. The other thing is they don't pay attention to their culture. Uh, they think that cult, they've allowed culture to be hijacked by the HR people that says it's being bag chairs and Friday afternoon beer parties. And no, it's not that at all. It's about, it's about the, it's about the, the feel, you know, when you work for these and you work with these companies and you're like, God, this person's on pins and needles all the time. That's culture. Uh, this person is domineering and wants to make sure that I, I clearly know that I'm the service writer for this company. That's a culture issue, uh, which becomes personality and personnel and culture all come clashing together. Yeah. And, and, and also it, it's even more practical than that. Even it's when people go, when people stand in the break room and complain about those customers, yeah. I mean, those, those ones who give us the business that pays your check, that keep that's cultural too. And it affects how they deliver their product, how they deliver their service, the way they approach their business. Uh, it's all those things. They don't pay attention to that until it's too late. And if you don't pay attention to it, you've got one. It's just a bad one. Randy Pennington's my guest. He's a business consultant. You can find him at randypennington.com. He and two PenningtonGroup.com. Pennington Group. I'm sorry, PenningtonGroup.com. Randy, along with two other guys that have both been on the Do Business Better podcast, Scott McCain and Larry Wingett, host and produce a thing called the Ultimate Business Summit. Why don't you tell us? So if you're a business owner out there, you're self-employed, you want to take it to the next level, you could attend the Ultimate Business Summit. They meet in Las Vegas for two days, is it? Tell me about Day and that. a half, August 15th and 16th at the Luxor on the Strip in Las Vegas. And here's what makes this different. First off, we limit the size. You're not going to go in there and see 300 people, 500 people, a thousand people. We limit this to about 150 people tops. The thing that makes this different than any other thing out there. And this is why about 90% of the folks who came last year signed up to come this year before they even left. And that's because this agenda is all driven by the people in the room. Uh, I mean, literally it's all three of us all the time. It's not Larry, give a speech, Scott, give a speech, me, give a speech. It's all three of us working for a day and a half on the issues that business owners bring to help their business get better. Yeah. So they're coming in saying, Hey, you know what? I really struggle with hiring uh, talent. So we're going to do a session on, uh, on effective hiring, or we're going to really struggle with uh, this. And then you guys tackle that topic and put it together. And, we, and then we have, we have a little structure around it. So it's not just like pinball, but it's, we, we take everything around people. For example, if there are 20 questions around people, we'll hit our, right, this is going to be the people we're going to hit all 20 of them. Ultimate business is this, by the way, if, if a person listening to this wants to go to the ultimate business summit, how do they do it? ultimatebusinesssummit.com. It's real simple, ultimatebusinesssummit.com. Uh, and here's the other thing that makes this one a little different. If you come to us at the end of day one and say, you know what, 
we didn't get a, I didn't get a single piece of information out of this that's going to help me in my business. It was a total waste of my time. Not a problem. We'll write you a check right then. There you go. So you're not taking their money and, and not delivering. Final thought here from Randy Pennington. He talks about change. He has a book called Make Change Work. You are in the business of helping businesses get better. One piece of advice, knowledge, lesson anyone in any business can use, especially as it relates to change. If you wait until the change has happened in today's world, you're probably going to be late. I mean, that simple as that. Don't wait till you're backed into the corner. Don't uh, wait till, I mean, it's easier to have it. You know, it's better to have a crisis plan to make your crisis plan before there's a crisis. It's the same with this. There you go. So have a, have a crisis plan. It, it don't, don't look for the fire extinguisher when the, when the kitchen's on fire, you better already know where it is. Right. That's right. All right. Randy Penny, thanks for being on here. My pleasure. Hey, until next time, it's the do business better podcast.